Take your Bibles, turn to Philippians uh, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. While you're doing that, let me say this. This past week was a, it was a challenging time for our family because the things that, that depression can bring with it came into our home. And I say that to you not because I have to, because someone asked me to or anything like that. I say that because we as a family, we've always just lived our life before people, before you. I mean, Asher was on stage doing the cajon today. We've just always kind of been there living our life before you. And we're going to continue to do that. And, and our, our hope is, and always has been, for you to watch us. To watch us so that when we do well as a family, that that can inspire you to do well and how to do things. And it's a testimony to you. We also want you to watch us maybe even more when we don't do well. When we make mistakes, because this one thing we know about our God is he has an amazing ability and commitment to take the brokenness of our life and the mistakes of our life, and if we will let him, he will create something far more beautiful out of it. And so we tell you that in our good days, watch us. In our bad days, we're not going to hide. We're going to tell you we ain't perfect. And we want you to watch us so that you, not because we're perfect, but so that you can watch what God can do. And it will inspire you when you face heartache and pain and brokenness in your own life. So that's our message from our family to you. So, so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's go on to Philippians chapter 3. And uh, let me start off by asking this question. In almost every arena of our life, we are accepted and valued based upon our performance. Right? When it comes to school, it is about your GPA, it is about your grades, it is about your performance. When it comes to work, many of you live under a quota systems or some types of deadlines or expectations. It is about your performance. When it comes to friendships, Many people will say you're friends, but just, when, just watch. When you don't meet up to their expectations, you will find some people, because your performance wasn't what they thought in the friendship, they will walk away. When it comes to, to sports, it's about your, the amount of hits you have. It's about, about your, it's about your yardage, about how many points or home runs or tackles you can make. In so many arenas of life, it is about our performance. And because of that, we began to believe that our value, our acceptance, our significance, our worth in this world is based upon our performance. And, and the result of that is that we, the, the, because of that, what we will do is there's this huge, I don't want to say temptation, it's just a huge calling, it's a huge force, it's a it's a huge part of our life. We just feel the pressure to lean into our performance, lean into how well we perform, how well we do, the things that we can give, the reputation we can build, to lean into our performance in life to get our hope, to get our sense of self-worth, to get our, our, our sense of value as a person. And so we're constantly leaning into that. We even bring that into our relationship with God because we experience it in every other arena of life. Why wouldn't we experience it in our arena with God? And so we began to think that our standing with God is built upon our performance. And when we do well, 
when we do Christian thing well and everything's going fine, then God must like me more than when we fail and we don't do well. And so, so we, we sit there and we struggle with that. And so the push is that we have a tendency to put our confidence and our hope into how we perform and what we have and what we can get and other people's opinions and all those kinds of things. That's where we, that's what we lean into for hope and confidence. The downside of that is your, how well you can perform, what you have, what you can obtain, other people's opinions. They, that cannot hold the weight of your hope. And over time, you end up being very disappointed. The Apostle Paul had such a huge passion for people to know and understand that you must not put your hope in the things that you can do and how well you perform and what you can achieve and the reputation you have. He has such a passion to say that is not the place to put your hope because it cannot sustain the weight. And you will be disappointed. And so he's, he's constantly saying that message. And maybe it's because he's experienced both extremes. Paul has been at a place in his life where he performed well. And he was, I mean, he had, in his job he was successful, he had the reputation, he, he had the money, he had the position, he had it all. And he was put his hope in those things. And he lived that. He knows what it's like to get there and to put your hope in those things. And at the same time, he knows what it's like to lose every bit of it. Lose it all. Lose the reputation. Lose the, the wealth. Lose the job. Lose it all. Everything that you put your hope in. And he had nothing to put his hope in than Christ and his promises. And he knows what it's like to live at both extremes. And out of that, he developed a passion to challenge us to make sure that we put our confidence, our hope in the right thing. So what we've been doing this June is we have been walking through and, and, and having the monumental task of trying to walk through Philippians doing a chapter every week. The book of Philippians, as you may or may not know, didn't start out as a book of the Bible. It started out as just simply a letter that Paul wrote to this new group of Christians that were discovering who this Jesus was and his, his plan and his truths for the very first time. He's writing encouraging them. They lived in the city of Philippi, thus the name. And he did it from jail, which <laughs> one of the things I've always thought interesting about Paul is that he, even though he wrote most of the New Testament, he could never be a pastor today. There would not be a church taking. Because even though he, he started so many churches and wrote so much of the, of the New Testament, he, can't you just imagine getting his resume on a, and just sitting in and listening to the discussion of a pastor search team. Yeah. Hey, guys, I got this resume. Check this guy out. For half of his adult life, he killed Christians. <laughs> half of his life, he was a murderer. Now he's not doing that anymore, but he's just going from jail to jail to jail to jail. Can you believe this guy actually sent his resume to us? But God can do amazing things. And so today, we pick up in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1, look what it says. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me. It is 
a safeguard for you. In other words, Paul recognizes here, I, I know I say a lot of the same things over and over and over again, but don't get me wrong, it's, it's not because I'm mad or upset or anything like that. It's just, this is such good stuff, and I don't mind saying it over and over, and, it's, and the more you hear it, the more it can be a safeguard for your life. Verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision. Let me, what he's saying there is, this, he's writing this letter at a time where Early Christianity was seen as a part of Judaism. A lot of people were both Jews and Christians. They just believed Jesus was the, was the Messiah they've been waiting on, which is true. And, but there had been a group get into Christianity and said, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, and yes, he is forgiveness. Great. All that is true. But to really experience that, you have to become a Jew first. You have to follow all the Jewish laws. You have to, you have to be circumcised. You have to do all these things first. And then you can become a Jew. So in other words, it's still based upon performance. You have to perform all these things in order to be worthy enough to grab hold of Jesus' grace. And, and Paul says, you know, those guys are like dogs. They're like evildoers. He says they're, they're, they're the false circumcision. They're required, saying to be with Jesus, to be to connect with God, you have to be circumcised first as a Jew. He's saying that's a false circumcision. So he's saying, watch out for those guys. Verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And then he says this. And put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying here, listen. I know how easy it is. To put your confidence, to put your hope for your life. For your tomorrow, for your today. I know how easy it is to put that hope in yourself and what you can do, and your performance, instead of putting it in Christ and his promises for you. I'm suddenly in the door. Oh, no, there I am. And his promises for you. I, I, I know what that's like. It's so easy to do. In fact, let me, let me present this question to you. If you are sitting where you are today, and you got a text message, be honest. Which text message would cause you fear? No, which would cause you more panic? If you got a text message right now that said, you're fired. We don't even want you to come back. You've lost your job. Your last paycheck is it. You didn't expect it, didn't see it coming. You got it right now. Your phone, you just happened to cheat and go, they'll think I'm looking in the Bible here during the stream. And then you check your text message and it says, you're fired. That, or if you got a text message and you knew it to be true, that you've lost the blessing of God for this moment. Most of us, if we we're honest, we'd say what really would cause us panic is if I got that message that said I lost my job. Because it's an issue of hope. We may believe in Jesus and we, we celebrate Jesus and we want to follow, but the fact is it is just so easy to put our hope in things that we can do and things that we can manipulate, things that we control, our performance, our stuff, our position, our reputation. We put our hope in those things and many times we don't even realize we've done that. Until we're challenged in a situation where we just have to ask ourselves, which really causes me more fear? Which would cause me more panic? To lose my job or to lose the blessing of God? And what that reveals more than anything else is where you put your hope because you will always fear more losing that where you've put your hope. And Paul goes on to say, you know, I get that. 
I get it. It's so hard. And I, and I get how easy it is to put your hope and confidence in the stuff and the, and, and the, the things that you do and your performance and your position and your status and all that. I know, keeping, I know how easy it is because I actually have been there. Look what he says, picking up with verse 4. Although I myself have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day. And circumcised the eighth day meant what? I was a part of the Jewish people. I was born into the people of God. He goes on and says, of the nation of Israel. In other words, I was a part of that chosen people of God. Of the tribe of Benjamin. (laughs) The tribe of Benjamin was the priestly tribe of the Israelite people. So he's saying basically, I was not just a part of the people of God, that very special group. I was a part of the best group of the best group. I was a part of the ones that everybody looked back and went, oh, wow. So I was, I was the criminal. He goes on and says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the top of the top. As to the law, a Pharisee. That was all the law, all the, not only what God gave, but they wrote so many other things that you have to do, you have to do, you have to do, you have to do. Some of you grew up in a church that was like that. You have to do that, you have to do It's not even in Scripture, but it's what we say. And the, the Jews had done that so much. And the Pharisee, their whole life was wrapped up in studying, knowing, and meticulously obeying everything that not only God had laid down, but that culture had said you got to do in order to be good. He said, as to the law, as to performance, I was the best. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You remember? As a Jew, we saw the churches going against God. I didn't sit back and go, you know, those people who are against God, those are bad people. He said, I went out after. I had such passion for what was good and right. I went out after those people to get them out of the way. As to righteous which is in the law, found blameless. Here's what he's saying to them. See, when it comes to having it all, when it comes to anyone that would have a right to put their hope in what they've achieved is me. Because when it comes to status, man, I had it. When it came to what people defined as goodness, I had it. When it came to success, I, I nailed it. When it came to wealth, I had accumulated it. When it came to a reputation, I sported it. In fact, Paul's basically saying to both the church at Philippi, but he's not saying it to us. He's saying when it comes to what the, your little world, your little culture defines as success, I achieved it at a, at a level that was far more than any of you that will ever read my words. That's where I had gone to. I had it all. And it would have been so easy, and it was so easy for me to put my hope in that. But he goes on and says, listen, when I made the choice to not just believe in Jesus privately, but to follow Jesus publicly. I lost it all. I lost it all. It wasn't just an inconvenience. It wasn't that I just had something now to do on Sundays. No, I I lost everything. I I lost my job. I lost my, my reputation. I lost my friends. I lost my wealth. My choosing to follow Jesus meant I lost everything. And in that moment... 
I put my hope. I stopped leaning into all that, and instead I leaned into Christ for my hope for salvation. But not just that, for my hope for significance and self-worth. My hope for a bright today and tomorrow. My hope for life. I made the shift, and I leaned into that, probably because he had to. I mean, everything else that he could have put hope in was stripped away. And so he was in a position where he was just forced to put his hope in Christ. may not even have been a real choice. God does that sometimes. God sometimes will, will find the things that you're leaning into for hope and confidence. And he will strip those things away from you so that you have nothing but him. And he says, you know what? So I know what it's like to have nothing, that everything that you'd put hope in is gone or broken. And I know what it's like to be there and to have the only thing you have to put your hope in is Christ. And and he says, I know this. It was far better to have nothing to put your hope in but Christ for life, for significance, for security, for assurance than it is to have everything and to lean into those things for hope because those things will fail you. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted loss as for the sake of Christ. But more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You hear that? And count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in Him, not having righteousness of my own. In other words, not trying to build it up by my own performance, not leaning into that. Derived from the law, that's the things you got to do. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Do you hear what he says this? He says... For whom, talking about Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things. He says, you know what? I have nothing what I once had. And it's Jesus' fault. It's because of Christ that I've lost everything else that would have been easy and it was easy for me to lean into for hope. But the loss of all those things has helped me to see that the only proper place to put my hope for life, for significance, for assurance, for security for both today and tomorrow is in Jesus Christ and His promises for me. And it wasn't until He put His confidence and His hope in Christ And it wasn't until the things that beforehand he had put his confidence and hope in had been taken away from him. It wasn't until he was in that place of desperation that he learned how foolish it is to put your hope and your confidence for significance, for assurance, and for security in what you have built. It wasn't until he lost everything that he put his hope in, that he realized the only thing to put your hope in is in Christ and his promises. That otherwise, it's just foolish and naive to put your hope in your bank account. To put your hope in other broken people. 
to put your hope for significance in your job, to put your hope for, for, for value in your reputation, to put your hope for security in your ability and your performance. That you should approach every day As followers of Christ, we should put our hope in Him and every day we should approach it no matter what is happening in that day with hope. Because I know that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to be okay. I know no matter what people say or what position I have or what position I don't have or where I am on the social economic scale, it doesn't matter. I'm significant because you see my hope for who I am is not in what I wear or what I have or what I drive or what school I go. It's in the fact that I am a child of the king. It is in the fact that I have put my hope in Christ and his promises to me and that means my life has value. So I will face this day with hope. Hope, because my hope is built in Christ and His promises. Not in what I have, not in what I can become, not in what people think, not in what I wear. It's in Christ and His promises to me. He goes on in verse 10 to say this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. You know what he says here? And this is humbling for me. He says, the goal of my life above everything else that I can go and do and accomplish, the goal of my life is to know him more intimately. I'm always looking in wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, I'm always looking for where God is at work and why he has me here and what he's doing because my goal in my life above every other goal is to know him a little bit more. Now, you know, most of us would agree with that. If we were, uh, if we were more of an ethnic church, some of you would be going, mm-hmm, amen. We like that. But the top go, the top above everything else, what I want, what I want at the end of my life is to know him the very best I could ever know him. And so in my successes, in my failures, in my work, in my play, I'm always asking the question, where is God at work in this? Because I want to know him. That's above every other thing. That is the goal. And we go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, preacher. What if before I ever started this sermon, when you walked in this door and had no idea, I mean, I wrote this thing a couple weeks ago, and I walked in and you had no idea I was going to talk about and I gave you a piece of paper. And before we ever started, I told you to write down, hey, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the three top goals of your life. Think for a minute. Think about your life, what you want to achieve, what you want to do. Sit down for a minute and just write out the three top goals of your life. Would have knowing him more intimately been number one. And if you're honest, most of you are saying, tell you the truth, it probably wouldn't have been one, two, or three. 
Maybe it would have because at church, I kind of know what you're getting at. So I'm kind of thinking, well, this is what he wants. something. But if I would have been at a sales meeting, or I would have been on Facebook in one of those little quizzes they have, and it wasn't in that spiritual context, would it have been number one? <laughs> would it have even been number two or three? Paul says, it's not just something we should do, but it should be above every other goal. should be the highest goal of our life to where we realize that everything I have and I experience and I go to, it's just God laying it out. And God's ultimate goal, whether it is in your friendships or in your internal struggles, whether it is your work or whether it is your organization, your part, that God, the reason he's opened up those doors and opportunities is that he wants to work in that in good ways and challenging ways. He wants to work in that for you to know him more intimately. But I have fear that we miss that so many times because we think the goal of work is to get a paycheck. We think the goal of, of friends is to, is to just bring us joy. We think the goal of these things, and Christ, is in, and Christ has said, now written a couple of thousand years ago, he has told us through Paul, listen, remember what the goal is. It is to know me more intimately. And then he says, I want you to know something. I'm still working on this. Now, this is my challenge to you, but I'm still working on this. I'm still trying to teach my heart to lean into Christ and his promises more than I, I lean into my abilities or my opportunities or my wealth or my control or my performance. I'm still, I'm still trying to learn this. Verse 12, <clears throat> now that I, not that I have already obtained it or already have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which is also I have laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do know, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many who are perfect, He's talking about not our perfection. He's talking about the fact that how God views us. God views us as perfect even though we aren't. He's talking about those of us in Christ where God views us through the, through the blood of Christ and sees us as perfect even though we aren't. He says, let's have this attitude. And the attitude is what? That above everything else, our goal is to know him more intimately, to put our hope and our confidence in his promises and in who he is. Let's have this attitude. And, in, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained of the gospel. I love how he says here, forgetting what lies behind, reaching out to what lies ahead. In life, we will forget so many things. As you live, the more years you live, the more things you forget. I mean, that's, how many times, I don't, maybe it's just me, how many times is that little, you know, thing on Facebook pop up from the past, you know? 
and you see this picture from the past, nine years, ten years, like, man, I forgot all about that. Wow. Uh, today, one popped up in my mind that nine years ago today, Colton and I, and he was like this tall. We were at the, we got an invitation to go to uh, Turner Field and go in the dugout, and it was, it was really cool. And I, I saw that, and i like, wow, I don't even, I forgot when he was that size. How was he that size, you know? And I'm looking at it, and I'm just, through our life, we're going to forget so many things. But, but the things you will never forget, in fact, it's, you'll have almost crystal clear clarity of them, is those moments that you make a mistake, those moments of failures, those moments of black marks. Satan is going to make sure that those are the moments of your life that you remember. And Paul says that in Christ, you have been forgiven of those things of your past. And you must not let the Satan win. You must forget what lies behind. You must let go of those things because if Christ has forgiven those, in fact, he forgave them of you before you did them. That's how complete his forgiveness is. And if he's forgiven you of those things, you must let them go so that you can reach forward to what's ahead. Because, and hear me, Hear me on this. I promise you this is true. As long as you are focused on what you did in the past, you will never see what God can do in your future. I promise you that. As long as you're focused on that, that past divorce, that past relationship fail, that past career fail, that past whatever it is, as long as you're just replaying that, replaying that, family fail, as long as you're replaying that over and over and over in your mind, as long as you are constantly reaching and focused on what you did in the past, you will never see what God can do in your future. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? The, the, the tide and the, and the current is always going to be on you to push you to put your hope in your performance and in what you have and what you can acquire and your reputation. And it's always going to be pushing you that way. And if you go with the current, it will be easier. But one day you will be disappointed because the weight of your performance cannot hold the need of hope that you have. Where's your hope? One of my, I love the worship that we do here and the talent of people we have here. Chris Barbie, what a fantastic job he did. I don't know if you know this or not, but this week, I thought our worship was great today. This week, the worship leader is supposed to be here, had to cancel out, the drummer canceled out, and Chris stepped in and called Ash, had him step in. I thought they did a fantastic. I love our worship here. Yeah, I thought they did. But sometimes you just want to pull something out that you remember from your childhood. And this morning when I was thinking about this whole message of hope this weekend, as I, I write on several weeks and then I revisit them at the end of every week. <clears throat> and for the Sunday, that's, they're going to be preached. And this morning, I'd look at, listen, uh, I picked up Friday and Saturday mornings, I go over the message, and Sunday mornings I get up here, and all through it, what kept going through my mind, what kept popping back into mind was that old song that I remember growing up, this old hymn. And it starts out like this. My hope 
is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. All other ground is just sinking sand.